The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today's show is entitled Head Cutters in the Heartland, Workplace Violence or Terrorist Attack. Now, I'm sure unless you've been hiding behind a rock or under a rock, you know what I'm talking about. The beheading of a co-worker uh, in Oklahoma by Alton Nolan, a 30-year-old man who was a relatively recent convert um, to Islam. And um, there seems to be a cover-up uh, in the media as to what this incident really was. Because um, if you call it terrorism, you know, a beheading, uh, obviously copying the videos and the incidents um, in the Middle East where there were actual beheadings um, by, uh, by Islamic terrorists. Um, and if you call it that, then, you know, that might, sh- <laughs> that might actually let people know what's really going on, that yes, in fact, um, this is something that could and has happened on American soil, which, of course, no one here wants to believe um, can happen. You know, that's, uh, that's what I have been trying to warn people about for years um, because there are things that we need to do to prepare ourselves for these kinds of headlines. And uh, keeping our head <laughs> under a rock, hiding under a rock ourselves, is not, uh, is not the answer. And certainly the media hiding its head under a rock is not the answer either. So my guest today is going to be talking about this. Um, his name is Dan Perkins. He is a radical Islam analyst, and he's the author of The Brotherhood of the Red Nile, which is um, a trilogy. And um, he has written his, the first book in the trilogy so far, uh, the Brotherhood of the Red Nile, a terrorist perspective, and is on his way to writing the next two. Um, welcome to the show, Dan. Uh, thank you for having me. And by the way, two is already out, and three will be out in December. Ah, two is out. Okay. Yes. Two is yes. well. Then two is called the Brotherhood of the Red Nile: America Rebuilds. You got it. Okay, I'm glad the, to hear America Rebuilds. The, the, <laughs> the third one is Brotherhood of the Red Nile: America Responds. Hmm. Hmm, okay, well, we'll hear all about that. But what, let's start with what I'm interested in is these are this this trilogy is obviously a um, I guess a, a, a set of novels. Um, mm-hmm. And I was reading about how you um, began to write them uh, when you took a writing class. But what right. interests me is, and obviously you had to do a lot of research to write books like that, but mm-hmm. what interests me is, I mean, here you were 
um, coming into this writing class, what interests me is I don't know what your background was before that um, and what uh, got you interested of all the topics that you could have written a trilogy about. You picked terrorism. Mm-hmm. So who were you right. before you walked into this class and why did you pick terrorism? Um, I was and continue to be a registered investment advisor, huh. managing money for people in private practice with my own business. And I've been doing that for 41 years. That's who I was. I'm still that person, but now I have a different side of me. Uh-huh. Uh, I, we we uh, spend our summers in central New Jersey, just outside of New York City, and our winter and spring home is on Sanibel Island, Florida, which is in southwest Florida, six miles out into the Gulf of Mexico from from Fort Myers. And on that island is an organization called the Big Arts Center. And they provide enrichment classes for the residents of the island. And in past years, I've taken things like watercolor and acrylics and glass and pottery. And, and in November of 2011, I was looking for what at the program guide. What was I going to take in 2012 during the winter? And I was looking for a course in iMovie production because I use uh, uh, YouTube as a principal communication tool to my oh. clients. But huh. they didn't have a class. And they had this class that said introductory course to writing mysteries and thrillers. So I said, what the heck? Um, I, I must tell you, I have no formal training whatsoever in creative writing. Not, none, zero, nothing. I walk in the first day of class and the instructor who has published 12 novels told us, you will find out in two weeks whether you can be a writer or not. Mm. And it just, I just couldn't fathom that something as complex as writing, a person could figure out in two weeks whether they could do it or not. Uh-huh. But I went home, and the first night, I wrote a thousand words. I wrote the title of the book, the plot line, hmm. principal characters, and I knew how the book was going to end. So uh-huh. I went into the second class, and I told her where I was, and she knew what my background was, and I said, is it possible for a writer in less than a thousand words of a novel to know how a book would end. And she said, can you tell me what you mean you know how it ends? And I said, I could see in my mind's eye the last line and the last paragraph and the last page of the book. Mm. The first book is over 400 pages. I wrote it in 90 days, and it ended exactly as I told her that third Tuesday in February in 2012. Book two started immediately after that, it's 513 pages. I wrote that one in 90 days. And the third novel, which is done, uh, is about 520 pages. Huh. And it was written in 90 days. And I went back to try and figure out, because as I've done interviews all over the country, much like yours, the question that you asked me is, how did I come up with that? And this is what I've concluded, Doctor, is that when I walked into the classroom... The teacher found a switch in my brain that had never been turned on. Mm-hmm. Somehow she activated the switch. But what was, re- what was released was a gift from the Lord. Um, I believe that for some reason, he, he picked the story, he picked the title, he, his words flow through me. I know it sounds a little crazy, but... Um, I don't write in the traditional sense. Uh, my biggest problem is not starting to write. 
my biggest problem is stopping writing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I sit at the keyboard, um, it flows. Uh, I lose all sense of time. Uh, I do, an, as you said, an enormous amount of research. My analytical side for, for managing money for 40 mm-hmm. years says, you know, I ask a question, try and figure out what should be there. Um, it has been an absolutely amazing experience. So I finished the third book on, on September the 6th, 2013. On, on October the 27th, I am in Atlanta, Georgia, signing a contract to extend an option to make a movie on the first book. Oh, wow. So in 14 months, Doctor, you have a person who's never had any experience writing fiction, no formal training, writes a trilogy, and gets an option for a movie, which now looks like it's going to be made. Oh, that, um, the, that's amazing. The, the only way that could possibly happen <laughs> is, is through the intervention of the Lord. Okay, well, I, I understand what you're saying. Having written three books myself, I understand that feeling when you're sitting at the, you sit down at the typewriter, at least I have, and I think to myself, now, how, you know, how is this going to happen? How's this chapter going to come out? How's this, what am I going to be writing today? And yes, that feeling of things flowing through you, I get that. But as a psychiatrist, mm-hmm. <laughs> let me, let me suggest an additional um, explanation, okay? Okay. You said right. that you... Um, uh, live in the summers um, mm-hmm. or in anything that's not winter um, in New Jersey. <laughs> in, uh, 20 miles of what used to be 20 miles due west of what was the World Trade exactly. Center. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And certainly that day, um, as with all of us, you know, some, to, some get to be able to express it artistically, creatively, and others don't, but I mean, we all could, theoretically, Um, Mm -hmm. but um, that has had such a tremendous impact on you um, and me (laughs) and and the world um, that that was all stored in you. And when you found this creative outlet and, and, you know, you were stimulated to explore that in yourself, it all came pouring out, as you say. Um, mm-hmm. because it was really b- all these emotions that you were holding inside of you. I, I'm not going to argue with you. Okay. <laughs> Good. I, I, I'll, I'll take that. I mean, it, 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 it's true. We were there. We had not moved to Florida in, on September the 11th. Mm-hmm. I was driving to work. I pulled on my parking cot, and I heard on the radio uh, that the first plane went in. Um, we lost... Um, Almost 30 people from our parish in, in the town that I grew, uh, lived in at the time. Um, I had friends, mm-hmm. longtime friends who were missing that worked in, in the World Trade Center and worked around that area that you couldn't talk to, you couldn't find out whether they were alive or dead. You couldn't talk to them because the phone service was non-existent. Uh, it was a, it was a terrible time of uncertainty and not knowing whether people that you've known 10, 20, 30, 40 years whether they were alive or not. There was uh, no, uh. no closure on that. And so I, I wouldn't argue the point, um, but I do think that, that what perhaps is different, um, and, I, and, and I appreciate your thought, and you're the, you're the first one that's ever suggested that, mm. so I'm, I'm going to take that to heart for sure. Um, but the, the story in book one, for example, the reason I wrote Terrorist Perspective as a title is that I try and help Americans 
understand why this group of people hates us so much mm-hmm. and want to kill us. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I think it's important because there's a huge disconnect. We have tens of millions of Americans who have no idea what goes on in the Korean or what goes on in Sharia law. Yes. And I, I found it all over the country. There's a total ignorance. And so people don't understand, and they don't, uh, also don't understand why some of the times, some of the things that we do in our country is so against uh, Sharia law or the Korean that it outrages them even more yes. uh, to want to attack us. Yes. One recent example of something, I don't know if you caught this, but did you read about Nick Cannon or hear about or see if Nick Cannon uh, wore $2 million shoes, diamond-encrusted shoes on America's Got Talent? They were making a big thing about that in the news. I mean, you know, that, that offends me. <laughs> um, that he couldn't or that show couldn't find a better use for $2 million when right. so many children in America go hungry than to have him wear these shoes so that they could get media attention and hopefully get more ratings so that then they could get more money to, you know, so make can, more money from the I, show. Can I throw another example at you real quick? How, I mean, about, the, how about the Victoria, Victoria's Secret's diamond bra? Well, yes, I guess you could look at that, too. All right, we need to we'll look at it in the next segment because we need to take a break. We're talking about head cutters in the heartland, workplace violence or terrorist attack, where my guest is Dan Perkins, and he is the author of three books that, he's already, that are already out. Uh, the trilogy is called The Brotherhood of the Red Nile Trilogy. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with my guest, Dan Perkins, today. Uh, He is a radical Islam analyst and the author of The Brotherhood of the Red Nile Trilogy. We're talking about, well, we're talking about the most recent uh, example of uh, encroaching terrorism on America, uh, which is 
the beheading in Oklahoma of um, mm-hmm. Colleen Hufford, who was beheaded um, similar to journalist James Foley and Stephen Sotloff. And mm-hmm. um, her attacker, Alton Nolan, was uh, in the process of trying to convert his, his uh, Vaughn Foods co-workers to Islam. So mm-hmm. let's, let's talk about that um, because, you know, and it's so interesting how, yes, it's in the news still, but not to the extent that it should be. I mean, not to the, not with all the implications that it should have. I mean, that people should be right. up, you know, talking to their congressmen and, and, you know, being more concerned about the borders being open and all kinds of things like that. Not that he, I mean, no. he was born in Oklahoma, and that, that, this is an, an example of that, but still doing mm-hmm. more to protect the country. So tell right. us about your feelings about this. Well, you know, Doctor, I, I, uh, I've been wrestling with this question, and um, I really like your, your style and your thinking process. So I, I, I wanted to ask you, I wanted to give you a a real situation and ask you a question if you can help me figure out what's going on. Okay. And it's about the subject matter you're talking about right now. Um, After the first reporter was beheaded, um, I was doing an interview for a column for the New York Times, and I kind of turned the tables on the reporter, and I said to him... um, how many people have to be beheaded before the New York Times, <laughs> the most influential media source in the country, will turn on the president? Hmm. He said uh-huh. three. <laughs> and I, I said, okay, three. I said, can you explain something to me? How is it that the New York Times can ignore tens of thousands of infants and women who are beheaded and their heads are put on stakes as a threat and a warning to the people, uh, Islamic people in uh, Iraq and Syria. Tens of thousands of people being beheaded. What is it about three people that, as you watched and I watched, how the sentiment in the country turned so rapidly in a matter of three beheadings when we, we all know that there were tens of thousands of them in Iraq. What yeah. caused that psychological shift, that change yeah. in America that forced the president, who was elected as a president of, of peace and ending wars, to start in the last two years of his, his presidency a new war? What do you think? Wait, I'm, I kind of lost you. Were you asking this of the New York Times reporter? No, I'm asking you about the response from the reporter what the, is the it fact that, that he? Oh, because you. I, oh, I thought maybe you had asked I'm, him. More. I'm sorry. First of all, I think it, I, I was a little surprised by you know how could he put a number on it? What, three beheadings. I mean, what, what's the deal with the number three? I know, like you know, in stories and so on, you have to have three. I mean, it's like three bears, three this and three three wishes, all that kind of stuff. But it just seems right. kind of absurd to pick a number out of a hat like that. Um, well, I. That was. But, but my question though really is that is background. Why did it cause such a huge, huge shift in sentiment in the United States, in the, in the public? Why? Yeah, why the beheadings in, the, in and of themselves? You mean the, the actual beheadings in, in yes. the Middle East that we saw, yes. well, that, we, that we got that the was, videos of? Right. So the, those three beheadings, 
changed the the attitude of the American public that forced the president to become more aggressive to try and deal with it. Was well, that's it just interesting? Just, um, I actually didn't. I mean, I think it was a confluence of things. I didn't see it so much as as um, it being just because of the three beheadings. I think it was a, a number of things that kind of came together, a perfect storm. And that was um, the, 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 right around the same time, he, was be, he made this speech about how the U.S. doesn't have a strategy. <laughs> it was right. a ridiculous speech. A, plan. a, plan. a strategy to handle mm-hmm. uh, ISIS. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're, and then then he made another speech. He was trying to backpedal, and he, you know, we do have a strategy. It was almost like a bad joke, you know. <laughs> you could mm-hmm. imagine a comedian coming on and saying, "We we don't well, we do have a strategy. It's you know, we just don't quite know what it is yet." I mean, it's like, I mean, if it wasn't so serious, it would be a very bad joke. Um, mm-hmm. So I think I so I don't think it was just the beheadings themselves. I think it's it's also been, you know, what I was saying, I think when he made those ridiculous speeches, that started a lot of people um, turning against him also because it okay. was so absurd. I mean, nation, uh, leaders all over the world were, were you know, laughing at him. And um, I think people, it made Americans um, feel frightened. You know, our, our president, our leader doesn't have a plan. <laughs> really? What are we going to do? So I think it was a bunch of these things, and then the beheadings and the fact that they were, you know, Western journalists, and then um, uh, these different, and then there, that they were copycats. The the fact that it, the the Australian citizen um, was found to have been part of that. I mean, you know, it was just all of these things coming once. I don't think Obama really wants to do what he's doing. I don't think I think he wanted to stay with the we don't have a strategy um, idea. But I think mm-hmm. it's people around him who have been forcing him to do something. Yeah, because I heard a number of re- reporters from the left say that uh, if there hadn't those three beheadings hadn't happened, that was would, would not have been enough pressure on the president to do anything. He would have continued what he was doing. Mm-hmm. That they, they they think it was the beheadings of the of the two American journalists were the thing that that inflamed America. Um, into the the revolt that came from America that caused the president to have to change his point of view. And uh, I'm not sure that I, I believe that he's changed his point of view, but uh, from a psychological standpoint, I was, I was amazed how quickly it seemed like maybe the beheadings, doctor, were the straw that broke the camel's back. Maybe that was the final straw that... that America, as you were talking about, the other things that were going on, America finally felt insecure mm-hmm. when they saw an American, an American being beheaded, and they reacted uh, adversely that they, they wanted some kind of action. And uh, the president was forced to act regardless of his religion. Yes, yes. Um I mean, because there have been other similar kinds of situations. It's been, it's been building. I mean, I think there's also the whole large group of people, myself included, who um, always thought that when he took uh, troops out of these countries, um, it, was too, it was done too quickly, um, without, mm-hmm. too abruptly, without really knowing for sure that the people left behind were able to stave off the terrorists. Right. And he, he had an exit date. He didn't have an exit strategy. Exactly. 
And right. so, um, so I think it's been, you know, this whole thing has kind of been, be, been building, and then the beheadings were sort of the most dramatic aspect of it, you know, these other things mm-hmm. were, were um, more um, uh, in- intellectual kinds of things, but then the, the drama of seeing these beheadings, um, I think, did catalyze everything. Um, Dr. Uh, if, you, if, you, yeah. if, you if you were on Mars... <laughs> Are you, you interviewing you, me today? <laughs> I just love I love your style. You you you're, you're creating all kinds of questions in my brain. Sure, it's if fine. you don't want me to do that, I know it's do okay. That. It's okay. I'm, I'm trying to have a conversation. With okay. You. If if you were on Mars and you came down and you saw the images of what was going on in Iraq with ISIS, okay, and you turned the channel. And you saw the riots in Ferguson. Hmm. Well, did you think you were in the same place? Hmm. When you saw that, that young black man with his shirt tied around his face to hide him as a mask with a gun blowing the lock off the door and the people pouring into the store and looting, hmm. were, were they different than ISIS? Yeah, there certainly and, are um, similarities. Um, I mean, you know, also Lord of the Flies, for that matter, we can go back to that yeah. and seeing yeah. those boys going down the hillsides with that same kind of look. And when you think about the, 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 the terrorists who came out of the mosque in Minnesota, and you say to yourself, what do they have in common with the ISIS terrorists? Mm-hmm. And what, is, what were they running away from in the United States? In, in my belief... The, the, the inability of the government and the economy to provide, provide meaningful, prideful work for millions of Americans, including, including many millions of African Americans, uh, created a, a, a ripe opportunity for ISIS to reach out to those, especially members of the black community, to try and give them a sense of opportunity to participate, pride, or whatever, and encouraging them to come over to Syria and Iraq to join the movement, giving them money for the tickets. Um, They were giving them hope, but we weren't giving them any hope here in the United States. Yes, yes. And, you know, I think, let's talk about Alton Alexander Nolan, um, because I think he exemplifies a lot of these kinds of problems um, that you're talking about. This is the man Mm -hmm. who... Uh, committed the beheading in Oklahoma and mm-hmm. uh, beheading his female co-worker and mm-hmm. after he um, after he apparently had uh, tried to not only convert uh, co-workers to Islam but also apparently the day before or a couple of days before he was um, talking about uh, how women are stoned for certain offenses and mm-hmm. um, that was part of one of the reasons why he was fired. Apparently, there were a number of reasons why he was fired. Um, mm-hmm. And but what's so interesting is that um, he, first of all, he, he changed his name to I'm not sure I'm pronouncing this right, but Joachim Yisrael. Um, and he um, he started out. He grew up in a in a school um, in Itabel, Oklahoma. Um, four hours southeast from where the attack occurred. 
He was a football player, and a teammate of his said that he was a good football player, not great. So perhaps he had visions of making the NFL, and that they didn't come to pass, and so he kind of got discouraged and kind of uh, and went into, you know, got into things. Well, got into criminal acts. Um, uh-huh. He um, so he he has apparently has a long history with local police. He was arrested uh-huh. at least ten times between 2004 and 2009 for different crimes, including, um, or at least allegations, some of them he was convicted of, assault, burglary, obstructing an officer, resisting arrest, drug possession, and larceny, and other charges. Um, And, uh, I don't want to take a break right now. (laughs) And assaulting, I'm hearing the music that tells me there's a break coming. Okay, let me just finish this. And assaulting a police okay. officer, and I'm getting to the key point here. He converted to Islam while he was in prison in 2011. Right. Now that kind of is a little different from the other reports that say he w- he converted in May of this year, but he may have begun mm-hmm. in prison and then got more involved, more seriously involved in May. Well, we will talk more about this when we come back. Uh, um, it's time to take another break. My guest is Dan Perkins, and you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking about head cutters in the heartland, workplace violence, or terrorist attack. My guest is Dan Perkins. He's the author of The Brotherhood of the Red Nile Trilogy which uh, you, may see in soon, you may see soon at a movie theater near you. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> um, okay, so we, during the break, you were go, going on about things that are absolutely true, so start again and tell everybody else. Okay, what I was saying is that I believe that one of the greatest deterrents from the American population to solving America's problems is political correctness. And so we can't have an open dialogue of ideas. We can't, we don't seem to want to respect the fact that a person, a human being, regardless of their race, 
can have an opinion about something that you might disagree with, but they should have the right to express their opinion. I'm very concerned of the vulnerability of the black community in the United States because the adult unemployment rate is double the national white unemployment rate, that the youth unemployment rate is four times what it is for white youth, and there's a growing sense of despair. I think that Ferguson was... There's no way that you can relate in any way, shape, or form the killing of the young man by the police officer to the manifestation of breaking into a store and stealing lottery tickets and clothes and all this stuff. There is no correlation in my mind. But what it is is a representation of the frustration, the anger, the depression, um, your business, uh, that I believe is taking place in the black community, which makes them extremely vulnerable to recruiting by ISIS and other terrorist organizations, not only to go to Syria and Iraq to fight, but also to establish a caliphate in the United States. Yes, yes. And I, I do just want to say it's, it's not just black um, youth or black people. Um, I mean, it really, goes, it really goes across the board. But, yes, I, I understand about the statistics. Um, you know, that's why I called the book that I wrote about terrorism, Coping with Terrorism, Dreams Interrupted. Um, mm-hmm. We had American dreams. There is the notion of the American dream, but so many people... Um, of all walks of life, um, are are finding that this is a, an illusion. Um, the, where, you know, what where's the American dream? Where is it for me? It's because of all the different, you know, lots of different things that are going on in this country that that shouldn't be going on or should be going in a different direction. Um, so, so where do we go from here? Let's talk about. Um, well, can, you, can, you I, know, can I suggest what? Go ahead. I suggest your opening. Mm-hmm. We, you talked about in the in the very first segment. You talked about in, in your in your discussion. Is it workplace violence yes. or is it terrorism? That's where I was okay. going to go. Yes, go ahead. Okay, good, good. Intuition, I guess. <laughs> um, I I look at it uh, this way. Um, we have uh, this summer um, wasn't a beheading, but there was a young freshman college student from Rutgers University who was driving home from college for a weekend. He pulled up in the, in the Wachung Valley uh, mountains and uh, at a stop sign, and a gentleman came out of the woods and fired eight bullets into the car and killed him. Hmm. The police arrested him. They found out that he had killed three other people in Washington, possibly a fourth, the state of Washington. And in each case, he, he confessed to the crime as a retaliation for Americans killing um, Islamic nationals in Iraq and Syria. Mm, mm. American, he's an American, but converted to Islam, a lone wolf attack. And I, I think that what's going on, what we found in the, in the New, York, New York Star-Ledger, um, the police, the local police, the state police, the prosecuting attorneys, uh, didn't know what to call it. They didn't, because there was... There was there was no theft. He didn't take the car. He shot and walked away. He, he confessed that he murdered them because of revenge mm. uh, for America's uh, action in, in Iraq and Syria. Yet, even the federal government, when they, 
when the prosecutor called in the Treasury Department, they were reluctant to call it a terrorist attack. And the reason why, there, is a, there are two reasons, probably more than two, but from my perspective, there are two reasons why I think they are very reluctant to call not only this, but the beheading a terrorist attack. One, it says for sure that there are terrorists here that are killing Americans, and that's a very bad message to send from the central government and the local governments that we can't protect you. And yeah. number two, if they are classified as terrorists, they are enemy combatants and are not subject to the American civil justice system, they need to be turned over to the military to be tried as terrorists. I think the government is reluctant, extremely reluctant, to admit that these men are terrorists because of the political implication of admitting that we have active terrorism cells in the United States. They're there to plan to kill Americans. Mm -hmm. And by calling it workplace violence, whether it's Fort Hood or Missouri or wherever, you recast it so that it doesn't sound like it really is bad. And the fact that there were 13 people killed in Fort Hood um, is it's workplace violence. You know, you know what we used to call that many, many years ago? Going postal. You remember that? Yes, yes. When we, when we had post office workers who were under a lot of stress and strain who would come in and shoot people in the post office. Yes. Um, I don't think it's... I really don't think it's the same. I think these people know exactly what they're doing. They're doing it for a specific reason, and the government doesn't know how to deal with it. Yes, um... Absolutely. You know, I mean, if if he hadn't, uh, you know, there are certainly, I know, it's funny, I was just thinking about that the other day, how we don't really hear that term much anymore, going postal. I think because because it's spread to so many other industries, it's not just the post office. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, do you um, remember, again? do you remember, Doctor, when when the country was going through the Watergate problem with, with Richard Nixon? Mm-hmm. And then the famous, one of the most trusted men in America, Dan Rather, was talking about what was going on. And he was, somebody was talking to him, or he was there with somebody, maybe on 60 Minutes, and, and they were talking to him, and he said, if it looks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, and it walks like it's a duck, it's probably a duck. Uh-huh. Well, if a guy is a Muslim, <laughs> he's talking about converting people or killing them, and he cuts off their head or shoots them, there's a good idea that he's probably a terrorist. Yes, yes. He's not a duck, he's a terrorist. Yes, And so if you just look at the evidence, you have to conclude that these are terrorist activities. And I'm greatly concerned. I talk about it in my first book. The border is is an unbelievable, unbelievable sieve. Um, I saw a recent report from the Border Patrol uh, just think about this, doctor. They've arrested, arrested, and I mean there are more, they've arrested 1,100 Chinese nationals coming across, trying to cross the border. They've arrested people from Iraq, from Pakistan, from Iran, and from Syria, and North Korea coming through the Mexican border. Mm. They're not looking to pick tomatoes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> And in, on July the 5th, the New York Times did an article 
on the number of illegals who came across the border from April 1st to June 30th. In that period of time this year, over 300,000 illegals crossed the border. Of the 300,000, there were 50,000 children. Now, let me give you a sense of scale to help you understand the magnitude. In the largest armada in the history of the world was for the Normandy invasion in the Second World War. We moved 150,000 soldiers, sailors, and Marines across the English Channel to the Normandy beaches. Mm -hmm. The Department of Defense says that an infantry division is 10,000 men. Mm-hmm. We've had two in, in that four month period. We've had two hundred and fifty thousand illegal aliens or more cross the border into the United States in that four month period. That's the equivalent of twenty five infantry divisions invading the United States. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the president is playing golf and doing other. <laughs> Having having lunches and all that kind of things, all those kinds of things, and not really, and purposely, I think, not paying attention to this. Well, if the president in his in his policies has basically been the kind of man, president, who basically says, "Look, I'm going to tell you what I'm not going to do." Mm-hmm. Okay. So the president, at the beginning of the summer, told the world that he was going to come out with an executive order by Labor Day, end of summer, to deal with immigration and the border. So that bus, you know, that leaves from Tercreek that goes to uh, El Paso, Texas, that was fully loaded, and the last bus had to leave sometime in August. Hmm. The, president come, the president comes back from vacation. Oh, by the way, I'm not going to issue an executive order probably till after the election or hmm. later. Mm-hmm. Do, you th- do, you, do you think he just opened the border again for more bad guys to cross over? Mm-hmm. He told them, come on down, it's fine, we're not going to press you. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, you know, I, I know, that's, that's obviously um, one of the most, one of the worst uh, problems. I mean, one of the biggest dangers. Um, it, it's, not, it's not that you have to even... It's not that people have to be that disguised anymore. It's just you walk through the border. Um, you know, and, and another part of that is, um, besides it being so easy to come across just because of the way things are right now, um, the fact that ISIS is recruiting and, and other terrorist cells are recruiting um, Westerners people who would have it easier, especially Americans, obviously, but would have it easier to cross, you know, to fly into the American, not even having to somewhat secretly cross the border, but Mm -hmm. just fly in um, with American passports, for example, or British passports, or, you know, um, countries that we wouldn't necessarily be as suspicious of. Um, right. And so, I mean, it, years ago, even even on 9-11, well, maybe, maybe especially on 9-11, we, who would have thought of the concept, even, of an American bo- becoming a terrorist? I mean, mm-hmm. that, was, um, that was a very rare if, uh, occurrence, um, if at all, by then. And now, mm-hmm. you know, now it's by the droves. Well, right. we, need to, we need to take another break. Um, my guests, we're talking about uh, Headcutters in the Heartland with my guest, Dan Perkins, and he is the author of the Brotherhood of the Red Nile Trilogy. We'll be talk- telling you in the, uh, 
in the last segment coming up, uh, how you can get that book, how you can find out more about him, and so on. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. My guest today is Dan Perkins. He's the author of The Brotherhood of the Red Nile Trilogy. We're talking about um, the beheading that occurred in our heartland uh, and how the media, and how and why the media won't call it terrorism. Um, <laughs> workplace violence, that's it. Um, let's talk about, you know, one of the things that I found really interesting was how there are terrorists, or, um, well, there are, I don't know, you can, there are people, there are, um, Islamists, um, in, in, uh, Oklahoma, who are there are some who are claiming that um, he there are some who are admitting that he was attending services at a mosque um, uh-huh. and some who are and, and are saying you know i don't know we don't understand this um, because there were sermons at this mosque saying that the beheadings in the Middle East were horrible and he was there for these sermons. And so, you know, in other words, trying to disown him and I don't know how this could happen kind of thing. And, uh-huh. and then at the same time, there's an article, uh, Muslims shout, shout praise Allah surround Oklahoma police following press conference on beheading. So we right. have some Muslims who are... Um, taking this as an opportunity to shout, praise Allah, and there uh-huh. are others who are saying, no, we don't have anything to do with him. Yes, he came to our mosque, but, you know, we didn't tell him to do this. What right. do you make of all that? Well, first of all, let me give you a, uh, I've giving you a lot of numbers today, because uh, I'm a numbers kind of guy. I, I like that. It helps fill in the story. From, from the period of time after September 11, 2001, to the September of 2011, 10 years in this country, the number of mosques has gone from 1,200 to 2,200, and the number of Muslims in the country 
have tripled. Now, if you if if you think about what's going on in the world, um, I've, I've, maybe you can help me come up with a better word, Doctor. Uh, I look at what's going on in France, in England, how the the Muslim population has exploded, and as it has exploded, they've become more intimidating against the central government of both England and in France. In in fact, in Ireland, the people, the Irish people are revolting because they believe they're losing their history and their mm-hmm. heritage because of the Muslims taking over at all levels of government. In England and France, we're so politically correct. When the, when the protests hit the streets, when Hamas was attacking Israel, uh, the anti-Semitism uh, rhetoric that was uh, going all over the world, it was being driven by, by the Muslims. And so what I, I find very disturbing is that, yes, there is no question, Doctor, that there are serious Muslims who believe in the peace nature of the Quran and, and, and Sharia law, and they are, uh, they are not violent. But there are times... Um, I saw an uh, uh, um, Islamic imam interviewed on television, and the, the reporter said to the imam, do you believe that Hamas is a terrorist organization? And his answer was, I have never met anyone from Hamas, so I don't know whether they're a terrorist oh. organization. Huh. I've, see, I've seen, I saw another person, a leader in the, in the in Muslim religion, who was asked, would you shake hands with an American woman? Now, you understand, under Sharia law, that's forbidden. Mm-hmm. If you do not know the woman, you cannot touch her. Mm-hmm. But, but the reporter who asked the question obviously either didn't understand that part of Sharia law or was trying to goat the person, and the person never really answered the question. The problem, Doctor, goes back to what we, we talked about early on in the show. We as Americans do not understand how these people live, and we don't understand their religious documents and how it influences the way they think and the way they act. And until we get there and we, and we take some time to study their religions and understand it, we're going to have a situation where these people that are in the mosque, you might have seen, Doctor, when the when the guys came out of Minneapolis and went over and were killed, and how the, the, the first interviews of the people in the mosque were, well, we don't do that. And yet the person who was recruiting these gentlemen to go to ISIS in Iraq and Syria was, in fact, recruiting them in the mosque on a regular basis for over a year. Mm-hmm. So the congregation knew he was there, but either they didn't know what he was doing or were not opposed to what he was doing mm-hmm. until it turned ugly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we have to understand that these people, by and large, I know that sounds terribly politically incorrect to say mm-hmm. these people, but so be it. We have to understand that we, when, we, when we meet somebody who claims to be a Muslim, we need to, we need to find out whether or not we can trust them and we can't trust them because we don't know what questions to really ask to determine how honest they really are. I'm not saying you distrust all Muslims. I'm saying is that 
there are a lot of people, uh, there are a lot of conser- what I call conservative Muslim people all over the world who have said nothing about what's going on in, in the Middle East. That word. And that bothers me a great deal because they don't stand up for their convictions. And when something's wrong, it's wrong regardless of what religion it's done under or what basis. You know, it's, here's the analogy, doctor. This is perfect for you. The German people in the Second World War accepted, accepted what Hitler wanted because they thought it was also good for them. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so you, you hear people call these the, the ISIS terrorists, you know, ISIS, um, Islamic Nazis, mm-hmm. uh, referring to the, 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 what's going, what happened in the Second World War. So there is a psychological impact here that while some people outwardly would be saying, maybe saying that they oppose it, in their heart of hearts, in fact, agree with it. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yes, yes, absolutely. Um, and, yes, there is such an incredible parallel between the Holocaust and what's happening now, absolutely. Right. <clears throat> what's really scary, Doctor, is to look at some of the pictures on the web when you see hundreds of people in front of a ditch with people behind them shooting them falling into ditches. Mm-hmm. That is reminiscent yes, yes. of Nazi tactics. Yes, that's right. Scary. And, and, and there are terrorists and terrorist leaders who are not ashamed of that and, in fact, use that as a rallying cry. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I want to make sure that we have enough time to tell people where they can go to find your books. Let me, um, okay. now that I know that all three of them are available, let me tell people the, uh, uh, the, the names of the books in your trilogy. The trilogy okay. is called The Brotherhood of the Red Nile. And uh, the first book was, um, or is, The Brotherhood of the Red Nile, A Terrorist Perspective. Then right. we have the second book, The Brotherhood of the Red Nile, America Rebuilds. And then right. you, the third book, you said, the, um, the Brotherhood of the Red Nile, America Responds. responds. <laughs> and that's not going to be, it's written, it's written but it's, it's in production right now. It'll be out in December. Okay. Well, good. So people can get a head start by, by, by reading the first, right. two, um, first two books, and sure. then they'll be ready for the third. And, right. Um, and if you, let me give you, of course, you can buy the books at Amazon, Barnes & Barnes and Noble, and Dan was telling me about how there's an audio version, too, that you can find at iTunes, Audible, and Amazon. Right. And um, the best way to get to his website and websites um, is to Google Dan Perkins, D-A-N Perkins, P-E-R-K-I-N-S, and um, in quotes, and then quote, Brotherhood of the Red Nile, unquote. And you'll be right. led to all kinds of uh, websites that talk about his books and him and his work and so on and his appearances. And then you said, um, well, I don't know, is there anything also about the books on iTunes? I, I don't mean iTunes, uh, I, mean, th- I mean YouTube. Uh, there are some stuff. There are some interviews that I've, the video interviews that I've done are on YouTube. Okay, great. Well, thank, thank you, you so much, Dan, for being a guest on the show. This is such important stuff. You know, I never, um, I never want to frighten you all, my listeners, uh, but I do. <laughs> someday you will remember, and you will tell people you heard it here first on Doctor right. Carol's Couch. So thank you, Dan. Thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. 
Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 